Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans and one chaos coordinator geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. And we uh, this will actually be airing within the week it's being recorded because... Uh, Matt and I had to reschedule a couple times. So with that being said, you notice Stabby isn't here. We didn't fire her. Nick didn't replace her for a younger model. She's just still unpacking. She is a younger model, man. <laughs> I know, but if you, you try to replace her, she would stab you. And then it would be like, oh, open casket. No, she'd give me that Colombian necktie. So desire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sweeney Todd on you? Step, to, uh, Steel that is, yeah, she, yeah. Turn me into meat pies and all that, which is great. Slide you right um, to the base. She's dude. unpacking right now, you know, so she's she's busy because we got my daughters coming this weekend and she's just like, oh, the house isn't ready. And next thing you know, I'm busy and unpacking boxes that I was like, oh, well, I'm, I don't go back to work till June. So, like, I got. <laughs> time she's like no we're gonna unpack the office right now and i'm like as much as i want to see the office put together my legs are numb from the knee down i get tink- my feet feel like they're asleep all the time after the stroke so she's like oh, yeah, i'm noticing a few boxes in the background there so i'm just oh, saying yeah. that if she makes her mad and i'll, then I'll you show you the space visit. matthew it's huge i'm like spoiled it's in this nice new place. space it's great if uh, if if he disappears and she offers you some barbecue, I'm just saying question the source. We have both seen fried green tomatoes. We know how this ends. Yeah, but I'm well marbled, so it's probably going to taste amazing. <laughs> you know, at least other than human meat. So It'll Matt, we haven't had amazing. you on the show. It'll probably the best burger. So we haven't had you on the show uh, since episode 27 for your own stuff, and I think we did Cyberpunk Day. Uh, it's the last time we had you, but it was so many people, we didn't really get to talk. So if anybody hasn't caught those episodes, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Matthew A. Goodwin, and I'm a science fiction author, a former zookeeper, and uh, now a co-author with Jan Chaney on a new series called Star Scrapper. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the um, creator and co-founder of Cyberpunk Day, which is a celebration of all things high tech and low life in the arts, which your fans may remember. And um, for my first appearance, all those many years ago, before even the cyberpunk day, um, since you're going to next talk about how we met, my favorite thing is that I came to you because I was just a fan of the show. And now in the years since I've got to launch a day and I'm now writing with Jan Chaney. So, you know, it's sort of a testament to just, just do it, man. Like get after it, chase your dream. And I just sort of said, Hey, can I come on this podcast that I like? I launched a book and you said, sure. And now, you know, things have really turned around, really picked up. So it's actually been declassified so we can tell them how we really met. Um, So, so Matt and and Nick and I actually grew up together and the only entertainment in our trailer park was from this one arcade game called Starfighter. Uh, And apparently if you can beat um, the bad guys and defeat Zer. Uh, you get to join the Armada. And, you know, that that was the, how we spent our 20s. We made up army careers and zookeeping careers and all the weird stuff. But really, you know, we were flying around in space because we're cool like that. It's true. And I'm happy that we can That's finally right. talk about it. <laughs> and when did I said the only entertainment in the trailer park, Nick knew exactly where I was going. I love that about him. 
Well, and then there was that like three week period where you were replaced with a replicant type thing who took his help. It was weird. I mean, fix his hearing. It was weird. I mean, I'm not even going to say what you were saying. It was weird. Federal statutes were placed because of what your replicant did. I'm just saying. Oops. Right. It was great, you know, going on a different adventure every week. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you right. don't get that reference, you're probably not old enough to have your prostate checked, but you should check the movie out. Yeah, right. The greatest movie that never got a sequel, even though it was deserving of one. I'm surprised we haven't done a show about it. Oh, it's on the list. Um, it's a, okay. it's going to happen in season four. And uh, we had a uh, patron who donated uh, half the season he covered with his donation wants us to review last, The Beastmaster. Oh, nice. Uh, that's on the list. Is that oh, my movie favorite or? fantasy movie. And doing it for a job. Not a bad way to live. No, no. There's, there's worse things in life. Right? All right. So because it's been so long and people might not remember, and we've changed the format up a little bit, okay. we're going to ask you the religion question. Are you ready for this? You got it. All right, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Uh, Star Wars. Excellent answer. Nick approves. Yeah, for me, growing yes, up, I my brother was real into Star Trek, and so I was surrounded by it. But for me, Star Wars just had it. And not only did I just love the movies, but they had – here's aging me. They had cassette tapes of the audio, uh, the BBC – recording i checked those out from my library i know exactly yes right i still i still have them to this day nothing to play it on but of course but i still (laughs) have those old and anthony daniels they got mark hamill it was it was they couldn't get harrison ford of course but like and so just you know going and painting warhammer and listening to star wars i could just completely disappear into a fantasy into a fantasy world so for me yeah, Star Wars. Star Wars was king, and of course, I loved Firefly too. But that was later in life, and and Star Wars was really formative for me. So I, I can tell you that that made me yeah, realize when here. I watched Armageddon when it first came out, and that old timer miner was like, "I want you to make eight tracks big again." Was one of his requests if he successfully did this. I'm like, I, I really didn't get that at the time in '98 when I watched that in the theaters, and now I'm looking back and I'm like, "Yeah, I would be asking him to make cassettes big again." So I get it. I yeah, if I could, if I could, if I could go back and find that, I had a, a checked out from my school library. They had a wooden box with cassette tapes for the Hobbit audio drama. Man, what I wouldn't give to go back and listen to that again. I'm sure it wouldn't hold up, but it just oh, it yeah. holds that place in my heart. That's the yeah, one from the, the danger. 70s. That was yeah, the danger of cool. nostalgia. Is sometimes you go back and it doesn't hold up. And you're like, I, I, so my, we never had like Nintendo or any of that growing up. My mom was like, oh, you've got a computer. You don't need it. And so I didn't like when my friends were all playing Nintendo. And then when it became, was it Sega Genesis and all the iterations that technology evolved, I didn't have that. So, but I'd go to my grandmother's and we could play her Atari. So I grew up playing the Atari games thinking that was just the coolest crap ever. And then I got one of those plug it into your TV mods that has like all the games on the fake Atari. And I played those as an adult, and I'm like, because I wanted my kids to experience that. I'm like, this sucks. Go back to the Xbox. I, it's funny. I, I got that exact same thing, and it, it, you're right about that. But meanwhile, my son the other day played the original Sonic from the Sega Genesis, which is now ported onto the Xbox, and he was loving it until he died and came to realize that unlike every modern game, when you die in the old games. Start over. 
you're done. He's like, well, what, what about all my progress? And I was like, no, there's no progress. Hit start. You're starting the game again. Yep. I remember. And then the times where like someone, something would happen, you get a power glitch, you know, whatever. And you're just lost and you didn't even die, but you're still rebooting. Mm-hmm. Any curse words were screamed at my television. Oh yeah. Um, my daughters and my stepson, when I introduced them to the NES Super Mario Brothers, the OG, right? Like, you get three lives, dude. You get three lives. And so when they got to the water level, which I think is world four, kicked the crap out of them. You know, and they were just I, – I had never heard these kids. I didn't even know these kids knew those swear words. And I'm like and – it, and it took me back to, like, being 10 years old playing this system and playing that game. I'm mm-hmm. like – Oh yeah, but I said it silently. I I wouldn't dare say it so loud where my parents could hear it. But apparently, I'm that cool parent. My teeth out. You know, like oh yeah, right out of the back of my time. head. Oh my! I I remember throwing the gun at the TV screen once. Luckily, it was in 1980s television, and those things are built to survive a nuclear blast. So me throwing the <laughs> The plastic the gun would break before that TV would. Yeah, yeah. And, and it did too. So, but then I found out that you can play it with the actual controller. You don't need the gun. But so I actually took my son. I was having him play the original Fallout, and he's looking at all the. You know, you go to the post-apocalyptic 1950s remains. And these TVs are still there. And he's like, they would melt, Daddy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And then I showed him a picture of the TV we had growing up, which is like the big wooden box. And I'm like, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> the, so a great thing the about one Fallout that was 1. Like 300 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in, I think, eighth grade, I loved Fallout 1 so much that I pretended to be sick so that I could stay home and beat it because I knew I was close to the end. And I was not the kind of kid that was going to, pretend to, to be sick but i pretended to be sick so that i could stay home and beat fallout one and i will never forget that feeling if for the spoiler alert for a game 30 years ago um you know to make that choice at the end um of what to do with the overseer it was that is as good as gaming gets still to this day i i, I mean i still love it what did you do what did you do the overseer oh i shot him oh me too i was so pissed off i was genuinely wrecked that that they were turning me away yeah I'm the only guy that's never played Fallout. Dude, you're missing. Well, I, the later ones understand. are not friendly because they get a little. No risque. one's going to take my geek card because of all the other things. But no, no, no. Yeah, um, Fallout is a. Is the later a, ones are less family deep. friendly, I would say. Yeah, that first Fallout. Well, and because of course, for kids, for kids like me, that when you heard the voice of MacGyver as the mayor in the first town, and like oh. you know, it was little things like that where I was like, "Oh, this is the greatest game that's ever existed." Some people know him as Colonel O'Neill, Stargate. Oh, yeah. Stargate is sort of my blind spot. I'd love to see him in. Yeah. I I had a mullet. I wanted to be like MacGyver in the 80s. No, you did not. I did. There's pictures of it somewhere. I'll have to see if my mom still has them. I actually kept growing it because my stepdad hated it. And I'm so like, he hated it. So I had to have it. And now I look back at those pictures as an adult and I'm like, Dad, why didn't you like tell me no? Right. This is stupid. Why did you let me go in public looking like this? It looked so bad. But I think everybody at that period, I think I had half a mullet. Or the rat tail was the other one people did. Even as a kid, I hated the rat tail. You had a what face? I I went through a ska face. Ska. Like punk. Ah, the band. Like I was was wearing like the plaid 
plaid pants with the zippers and the Doc Martens. All the Luckily, chains. No photographic evidence. Oh, yeah. But my mom would never let me do anything with my hair. Mm. So, like, I couldn't do the mohawk. I couldn't shave the head. I, could, I couldn't go full on punk. So, so I had, like, a high and tight <laughs> Well, I'm wearing all this punk, the leather jacket with the studs and all that shit. And like I said, luckily there's no photographic evidence. Other yeah, thank than God me. we didn't have cell Actually, phones when we were kids, huh? Oh, thank God. I, I'd i be haunted by it because I'd, I'd probably look so ridiculous as I'm wearing a shirt that says from a band called Turkey Mallet or Four Inches <laughs> from the Floor. You know, now I know what I'm getting you little... for Christmas. Oh. Uh, I'll rock it now because I'm in my 40s and I don't give a crap. You know? <laughs> right. Like, I... No one can ever say that I don't have a sense of humor because the shirt that I bought after my stroke was the band shirt from The Strokes, and I wear oh, it religiously because I thought it would be funny. And it's the same one that Sam Winwicky wears in the first Transformers movie. So, so I actually I went twice. Wore, I wore the um a ba- uh, the album T shirt from Hello. What was it Hello? Uh, try to give me a second. It was Hello Rockview's Less Than Jake was the name of the album. I think. I could be mixing it up. It was 1998 people, but it was a punk band that I was wearing when I got to basic. And so I sit down in the barber chair with that band and the barber had a sense of humor and he knew who the band was. So he just took the, he takes the the buzzer straight down the middle of my hair and he goes, it's an inverted Mohawk and you still look retarded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you could not say that. Like it's changed a lot the way they treated us at uh, John Wayne school for boys. Army barbers are a whole different breed, bro. Like they, they had really no are. Fs to give. Uh, the one guy who thought he was actually going to get, you know, like an actual trim, like still a little off the side, and they're of course handing in piles of his hair. Uh, there's always yeah, one. Yeah, let me get a medium fade, a little bit off the top, and they just meh. <laughs> I, I think that's the only haircut they know. <laughs> but uh, well, okay, I mean, they do that. For, I don't know if they, I don't know why they do that. I, I, I was told that it was for sanitary reasons. <laughs> I think it's just yeah. so we all look like Brussels sprouts. I think it's so well. The Brussels sprouts okay, is a yes. comment for major pain. I know where that comes from. Yes. My little Brussels sprouts oh, when they're absolutely. like playing in the mud. Great movie, great movie. We should review great, that one too. Just great, my little Brussels sprouts. <laughs> have you seen that one, Matthew? I, you know, I think I did at the time. I have zero recollection of it now. But the reference, I mean, I remember. I could see the poster in my mind, and I feel like I saw it at the time. But any recollection is long gone. There's a funny scene where he's trying to tell the uh, kid who's afraid of the dark that who thinks there's a monster in his closet. So he pulls out his pistol and starts shooting the closet. And he tells the little six-year-old if he ain't dead straight up. He pulls out a 1911 45 caliber pistol and unloads a whole mag. And if he's in that, he ain't happy. (laughs) That's the best line ever. All right. Uh, so Major Payne executed the boogeyman with extreme prejudice. <laughs> he tells the story of the little engine that could set Vietnam, and he's like, but he couldn't run because he didn't have no legs. <laughs> he ain't got no legs. It's <laughs> a great movie. Oh, that's a great you know, movie. I'm putting on the big screen, right? That's happening. Yeah, that's, that's, that's happening. happening this weekend. All right, because we're polytheistic. Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, or Beastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. The Wheel of Time book series. I loved Robert Jordan when I was when I was young. 
because I I grew up with the you know in, in in a time sort of before Harry Potter, so I was reading Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion, and and so the Wheel of Time, you know, like big fat books that you could like hit a kid with, like that was a that was a theoretically we don't involve, uh, encourage child violence here, people. Oh, this was I, I meant like between children. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> like when you I was also a fight club. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of nerds who I mean, played don't D&D. Get me wrong. There's times where I wanted to hit. I've wanted to hit Actually, the boy what we with, used the, was, uh, with the Lord uh, of the Rings. For the for the for the Warhammer players out there, we used the little whippy sticks, these little measuring rods that you, you would use to measure between your your minis. That's really that was the the child to child abuse at the time. Um, but so the, the Wheel of Time, I, I loved. Um, and I, the Game of Thrones show, I was enamored of and went back and read the books. I didn't love the books as much. I, I didn't love Martin's prose, but I really loved the show. And then, you know, I didn't love it so much and was brutalized by, you know, not the the character Daenerys character stuff that I, I totally understood and they just didn't have give it the right amount of time but it was the obvious you know not caring anymore um so that sort of that would have taken it off completely was and it we'll season just... six by chance where you were like eh, yeah that's really lost everyone yeah. last two seasons that, that's the seems, the yeah Bastards. that seems to be the common theme the Battle of the Bastards was, for me, as good as I'd ever seen anything on television. The episode, yes. the, the story, the culmination, but then the battle. It was one of the best medieval battles that's ever been filmed in movie, television, anything. It was a masterpiece. And I thought, this is going to be the greatest show of all time. This is going to be the show that that ends all shows. This It's going to teach a generation of people to love fantasy. And then... They gave up on it, basically. <laughs> they wanted to go do Star Wars, yeah, and they're it, like, we're going to do six more episodes. One's going to be d- so dark you can't see it, and we're done here. So the Battle of the Bastards, the Angry Staff Officers, which is a review, they like just military nerds that then review like movies that have combat in them. They talk about the logistics, the battle planning strategies and all that. They tore that one away because you say, okay, it's the best medieval battle I've seen on television. From anybody that looks at it, it's like that just logistically doesn't work. Like nothing about this works from a tactical logistical standpoint. Like it's yeah, but it looked great on film, right? <laughs> you know, sure, he's pulling out that long sword. And it's just it's just him right there, and the whole horde's coming. Right, and they and they and did and, a. It was like a. It was based. I mean, based. You know, they got inspiration was the Battle of Cune, right? The where the Romans are all encircled and got closer and closer. Yeah, and and sure, I th- I'm sure there's there's logical flaws. If I went, back. I haven't watched it since the time. I'm sure there's logical flaws, but at the time, I was so just like, it's just masterful filmmaking. But yeah, it, was, it followed the rule of cool. Yeah, right. it was a kind of a blend from like you mentioned the Battle of. Ca- Cune, Cane, I'm not sure how you pronounce the, the word, but where Hannibal beat that crap out of the Romans. But it also had shades of like the Battle of Hastings, where the Scots beat the Brits. Right. Well, I mean, like with the mud and the and I get I get where they're coming from. And it did look cool. I just I just look at it and I'm like, well, how would you do that in real life? Where would you really move? Like if you look at it like a giant chessboard in the sky, right? That is not how you Bro, would want when we're watching yeah. when we're watching shows, we suspend disbelief, especially with our tactical knowledge. You know, and right. I, I mean, there are also not dragons. Did it look cool? It looked cool as shit. Right. So you're so saying the rule of cool I, is basically the, the but did you die? 
<laughs> yeah, it, it really is. If you look at a lot of the uh, the media that we consume, even, I mean, whether it's visual or um, like me, I, I'm an artist. So when I read books, it plays in my head like a movie. So the rule of cool is definitely a factor if the writer wrote it right. So you got this lone guy sitting there taking on a Mongol horde of people on horseback, a cavalry coming at him. And he just takes his belt off and draws his sword. He's like, not today. We're doing this. You know, <laughs> and just balls so big that he can't even walk. Like TSA would not allow this in the airport because his balls are so big. And uh, just wants to take it. And then, then he gets the support because that's how they set up that shot. Was that he was, you know, the, the lone sword fighter. And he was just going to take on everybody. And then he gets the support. And you're like, yeah! Yeah, you know, like I get goosebumps to think about that scene. It was probably one of the best scenes in the entire series. Mm -hmm. um, that the rule of cool is definitely. Uh, so I guess like revenge in that episode too, which was pretty satisfying. Yes, I guess for me, like yeah. I've listened to. Great. So I've in terms of storytelling, there's also in, it's not just the battle. There's also the culmination of a lot of storytelling that was really cool. I've just listened to George Martin talk about how he's used real history and he's so much cooler than everyone else because of it. And then I look at some of his real history and I'm like, yeah, but did you, did you really? Um, just because, you know, this might be a hot take, but I think he's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went and heard him speak. And the one thing that really um, stood out to me was that he said he did like to play with conventions. And if there's a, a thing that you're used to, in storytelling, he's going to try to do it slightly differently. So like you have these noble yeah. guards that are the last heroic guards at the end of the world, but they're all rapists and murderers. Um, I thought that was, I, I like that. And I've tried to, I've tried, I have incorporated that in a lot of my storytelling too, where in one in my series, you know, I, I had some characters that are the cliche of a character that you always see out in the wasteland, but it turned out they were not at all what you would expect them to be. But well, turning that, tropes that was turning tropes on their head, I don't have a problem with. You know, subverting expectations in that way. The problem with with Martin is he tends to be a little bit of a nihilist. Like he just everything is grim dark, and I just that's just not my style. I mean, some people love it, and more power to him. Anything Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, because uh, I know Nick's got to uh, to get to bed early because he's getting old. Uh, he told me he wanted to try to keep it to an hour tonight. I had a stroke, man. We can keep it tight. So, uh, so we're going to be playing <laughs> that one out in three years. He's gonna, but I had a stroke, man. <laughs> oh, I'm going to milk this cow as long as I can milk it, bro. <laughs> all right, so uh, this is a new religion question that uh, wasn't even around when you came on last time because since your last visit – we have an affiliate partnership with Coffee Brand Coffee. So are you ready for this most important of questions? Sure. Coffee or tea? And how do you take it? Oh, black coffee. So I drink Attaboy. a not healthy amount of black coffee. And there was a running joke when I still worked at the zoo. So we would get free coffee from the cafe um, as part of our employment, which I think is why I lasted as long as I did. And <laughs> the running joke was that- Free coffee, I'm in. Oh, right. You could always tell where I had been because there was this much left in one of the coffee cups that I had abandoned on my way to go get the next refill of coffee. <laughs> so you would, I have pictures like of, of it on a wheelbarrow full of shit or, you know, next to, you know, whatever, whatever 
um, marsupial display or whatever, you could just find yeah. my abandoned coffee cups everywhere. That actually, you'll get a kick out of this. I worked at uh, Starbucks to play for grad school and they would give us a free pound of coffee every week as part of our package. But I was drinking so much coffee there that I just couldn't go through all that coffee. So most people just like donated to family. But I was living out of state at the time. So we just started piling. We had like 100 pounds of coffee by the time we were done that we just gave everyone like gift baskets that Christmas. And they thought, oh, like he loves us. Look how much money he spent on us. And I'm like, yeah, right. Uh, and because we were setting up the apartment for the first time, this is the first time I lived out of the barracks. So we went to a liquor store and stocked up. Well, they were closing down uh, the liquor store at the time. And Philly has weird um liquor laws so he's like come back after hours and you just pay cash and that way because the, they closed the register or whatever i know now i was buying it off the back of the truck like that wasn't an official sale at the time i was young i was naive and i'm like cool so i just bought a couple hundred dollars worth of liquor just because it was convenient right and it was just down the street and i didn't want to have to go back so when they were touring the apartment as we were moving when i was done with grad school there's just like hundreds of pounds of coffee and dozens of bottles of hard liquor and they're like does this guy have a problem is he like right. oh, we have i grew up on a horse i grew up on a horse ranch so like i understand matthew like like when i was mucking stalls or you know slinging hay or whatever i'd have my cup of coffee and it'd be like just just maybe an inch or two left because I'd set it down while I was doing the work. And then my dad'd be like, Hey, you need to go to this and start working this task, you know? And I'm like, Oh shit, I, I, I don't have coffee. Hold on. Dad. That's exactly it. Coffee. And because when I would leave one string, a string is what you call the section. You leave one string head to the next. Oh, well the cafe is on the way. Stop top off new one. You know, it's all compostable. So it just ends up in the bin next to the hippo dung. <laughs> yeah, he we had a bunkhouse that nobody bunked in, but there was a coffee pot in there. So I would stop on the way in the bunkhouse, get a cup, go to my next task, drink a little bit of it. And because uh, uh, ranch life, I would assume is kind of like zoo life you're doing with animals. So you're up early. You're it doing is tasks. a lot of there's a lot of crossover. And, you know, we've worked with a lot of people who basically own like wildlife ranches and it's it's a similar it's a it's a similar lifestyle really it's just of course mine is in the middle of a major city rather than out in the rural so you'll get yeah, a my, kick out my life stream is to own a raccoon I, i'm gonna get one it's happening i could i could see it you'll get a kick out of us when they said is he going to rehab or something and their answer was no he's just in the army yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but all right all right so uh, we want to dive into the series that brought us here because you've uh, you've branched out from cyberpunk to to sci-fi and so we don't get interrupted we're just going to play that beautiful is that theme. really a branch it's like a side, side really step okay he's yeah, yeah, you're still briefly from future cyberpunk to future space opera more smiley faces i guess a little yeah, less doom and gloom? Maybe? I don't know. Okay. All right, we're going to show that commercial. That's great. Let's nail it. Van, I know this is hard for you to accept or even believe. But you're not imagining this. You're not going crazy. Your grandfather believed right down to the core of his being in protecting those who couldn't protect themselves. You expect me to believe that my grandfather was a star-faring soldier? I can prove it to you. And how are you going to do that? 
by taking you for a flight. Whenever you're ready, Van. So this is the first time you've seen Shit. this one, Nick. Dude, you were dancing in the background. Like, I thought you were gonna have. Dude, a, a party. I I enjoyed the hell out of this, man. Like, that that was cool. It was it was very last Starfighter, to which we we talked about in the pre-show that I'm a huge fan of. You know. Yeah, that was epic. I, that was my gone. first time seeing it too. That was awesome. I've you know I've read the series, but I hadn't I had never seen that. That's that was really cool. You had that Jamie rock riff no. as he. Oh, that was awesome. Cheney lucked out when he was getting podium, put that commercial together. And holy crap, that sets the standard right there. Oh, yeah, that, God, dude. I that's mean, probably the best. If you haven't read Backyard Starship yet. I have been um, on a tight budget, so I've been doing the library to find books right now. But uh, hopefully I can turn that around and because uh, there's a lot of, of the indie books I want to be able to read. But not all of them, unfortunately, are in the library system. Come um, out and visit me on the mountain. We have reading nooks all over the house. Now, <laughs> it's so, time to say, Shh, I'm reading. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, Matt, before we get started talking about your the Star Scraper book, uh, what all have you written? Can you tell people what to expect from your work? Yeah. So, um, well, previously, of course, I wrote uh, Cyberpunk Saga. Um which was a seven book series with a prequel novella and some side stories. And so that was sort of my pedigree was I wrote a lot of uh, cyberpunk. And then now that I'm doing star scrapper with uh, Jay and Chaney, you know, we're, we're incorporating my cyberpunk background, but also um, doing some, some, you know, out, 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 out of this world sci-fi, like you saw in the trailer. So it's kind of um, blending my two passions, which I'm super excited about. Okay. So <clears throat> before we get started um, diving into the actual story and talking about Star Scrapper, what would you say the age range for that story is? Like for the audience? Uh, for Star Scrapper or yeah. for uh, uh, Cyberpunk Saga? For Star Scrapper. Um, you, know, Star Scrapper. I, uh, you know, I think... I think I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think anybody would enjoy it. I, I, I think as long as you love sci-fi, you can get into it. I, um, you know, we have some adult content, some language, but nothing, nothing too violent, nothing no, too crazy. Gratuitous sex and violence. You're kind of like on the on the low scale of thing. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if it were a movie, it would be PG thirteen. Okay. You know? 
perfect. It would perfect. be more like Guardians of the Galaxy, sort of that, you know, where you you might hear some language, but you're not gonna you're you're not gonna need to cover cover your ears too much. Matthew, I already love you. You don't gotta quit. You gotta quit touching my heartstrings, bro. Oh, that's All what right, I'm going so for. That's the whole reason I came on this podcast, man. Yeah, it was like I haven't I haven't got smooch faces with Nick yet. You know, Jr. We've already been on with you, but not Nick, right? Oh, uh, it's, it's the beard. It's like makeup for men. I get it. <laughs> it's like a push up bra for men. I get it. Yeah, I'm told that. It All really right, so, is, man. Because if you ugly, you ugly, bro. <laughs> yeah, if you got yeah, no chin, beard. hide it behind the beard, man. That's what. You, what are you gonna do? All Long right, as so I have too many pins. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, so we're gonna look at this beautiful cover. So, what? What? Can you tell shit. Us? Yeah, I'm. I love. I love this cover so much. Um, I love the logo, and I was really excited about um, the color palette because it sets the exact right tone for the world. It's not. It's not a pristine future it's um it's not grim dark but it's not light either it's sort of a rusty future i think is sort of the best way to describe it um the the premise of the book is basically you know we're 200 years after a war that was won against the ai and so as a result we've walked technology way back so it's futuristic but also really constrained future um, sort of Adam Punky, that kind of that kind of thing, and this cover like just nailed that tone. Um, while we were writing it, I think it was sort of like living in the shadow of World War II, kind of that that feel, um, but sci-fi future. Yeah, this has a very to me, and I, I don't have Nate, uh, Nick's art pedigree, but this definitely has a lot of the anime art style vibe that Cheney uses a lot. Does. but he's really big on anime, so yeah it kind of makes sense that he would do that i know when he talks to people about pitching ideas he kind of uses that as a true north for himself which is cool like you know you work with what you love nothing wrong with that so what is the story of your like how did did you go to nick with or did you go to me did you go to cheney with this idea did he come to you like how did the idea for Starscraper happen <laughs> It's funny. I had never once thought scraper and I put it into Amazon star scrapper to see if, if it would come up. And I just saw a bunch of scrape of uh, paint scrapers. And I was like, I think this is going to be a thing that people, that people keep saying. And I, I, am, I have been proven to be right so far. Um, I, so he, he came up with this idea of um, a guy who is living in a post AI world where AI is illegal and he finds an AI who has who has a great secret about a grave threat. Um, and we just workshopped that idea. Um, we've been working on it for a long time now. We're already writing um, book five now, so it's 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 chung, chugging along already. Um, but he it was the genesis was his. But uh, you know, when he pitched me on an idea that's um, AI, man's relationship with technology, all of the cyberpunky stuff that I love. I was like, this is perfect for us. Okay. So how did you meet Chaney? Did he just come to you because he found your books uh, with the cyberpunk? No, uh, because- we, we met through a, a mutual friend at the um, uh, Vegas, um, uh, 20 books to 50K Vegas a few years ago. Okay. And um, 
when I finished a cyberpunk saga, uh, we reconnected and so started working with variant a little bit. And then, um, he pitched me this idea and I was like, yeah, we, let's do it. I'm, this is like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, so we've now known each other for a couple of years and been working on this now for, for a while too. So how much has changed from the original concept that you and him came up with to what it is in the final production? Like, you know, some things have changed drastically as you develop a story and you, um, you know, flesh out an entire world and some things um, that we jotted down in that first just sort of mind meld um, have have stayed have stayed the same. Um, like like the fact that that the AI he meets is housed in this cube, like that was one of the first things that you can see on the cover there. That was one of the first things that we talked about, and it's still you know it's still there to this day. And okay. Hank. The main character being named Hank was something that we even talked about in the first, in that first meeting and the name and the name has been constantly the same since day one. What is it? Was there a it's, reason it's you a picked a solid the name? name? It's very rustic. Yeah. And I, you know, I always also, um, I like two word book titles. Um, every single one of my, Cyberpunk books has a two-word title. So far, every uh, Star Scrapper book that we've done has a two-word title. It's I just I think that's you can say a lot with a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less is more in a lot of cases. Let Let's talk about the main character here. Is that the main character that is here on? That's Hank. Yeah. So so Hank is, you know, kind of just a guy trying to make it work. Um, he is like this title suggests he's a star scrapper. So that basically means he just bids on lots of devastated spaceships, you know, space stations, that kind of thing goes out, grabs what he can of value, brings it back and uses it at his repair shop or sells it. Um, you know, like he's just salvage, kind of, right? a, a, like, uh... yeah, exactly. Salvage. Yeah. Right. That kind like of thing. And yeah. So he also owns a starship repair shop in you know in the middle of nowhere that's on a planet that's that used to be touristy and now is just known for crime and for uh to repair your you know repair your starship if you if you're on your way somewhere better um and while he's on a job he finds an artificial intelligence who is the other sort of main character of the series you know in all of cheney's books there's there's always the the ai um, the AI companion, or in most of them, anyway. And in like you think about uh, Backyard Starship that we just saw, like Perry, that bird that is is talking to him. You know, that's an that's an AI, one of the most beloved characters in the series. And so it was kind of fun to play with. You know, we were talking about subverting expectations earlier to play with that idea. Say, okay, we've got your AI companion, best buddy, but also. He's completely illegal, and you will be tortured and killed if you're found with him. Right. Yes, but did you have a dancing girl bobblehead for the starship? <laughs> he did that in his uh, Star Renegade series, the bobblehead. There was oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Lord. Uh, does even this had, AI have a name? Yes. So it's Ned 
and um well i'll spoil the surprise it's it. short they 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 make a joke later later in the book that it's um short for nedry um because his programmer had a sense of humor okay the joke went over my head as, as they all do Oh, uh, there's a movie called, or a book also called Jurassic Park, and there was a hacker, a programmer named Dennis Nedry. Ned. Oh, Dennis Nedry. I didn't, okay. I, I got it right away. Stabby's a huge uh, Jurassic Parkophile, I guess would probably be the proper term. Dude, Jurassic um, Park is one of those things that if it is on TV when we're scrolling channels, we will always stop. stop and watch. Yeah, and we uh, realized during the Super Bowl when we saw the Twisters commercial, we realized that Twister is another one of those movies that we watch pretty much yep. every time it's on. Yeah, there's so, like I got like ten movies that are in that category. Like uh, me too. The Green but Mile. It, I, I, I didn't think men. Twister was on there until we saw that trailer, and I was like, "Oh, Twister! That's one that we always stop for." So, right. what, kind of, what can you tell us about a spaceship? Are you going for like the small little? two or three people patrol craft type deal that you see in some sci-fi you're talking the big mega ships like in star wars like like what kind of no ship it's you? it's definitely medium it's um it's a ship the buzzard is a ship designed for um for scrapping so it's got you know the retractable arms for picking up garbage and you know tucking it up under the ship um but obviously it's fallen into disrepair so the ship is is not living its best life. It's old and rusty and really kind of falling apart. So not great for going going on the run in. But you know he has to make do. And you know it's fun too because I, I love that the spaceship is always one of the main characters. And it was really fun to start designing something that was kind of a POS. And that was that was fun too that he could you know as the series progresses. We could make it so that he, um, you know, really builds it up. Are we going to get to see any art on later covers of the uh, Starship Bass, of that glorious um, <laughs> flying beast? I certainly hope so. I don't think that I've, uh, I don't think the, the covers for the, the next books have been done yet, but I certainly know that, you know, with this kind of story, there's a lot of spaceship ass. Okay. I'll tell you what, I want his sweater that he's wearing, that orange sweater. because I want that whole look. I, I want that entire look. I wish I were as cool as I Hank. think I have that jacket, actually. But that sweater, <laughs> I don't have that, and that would be great up here in the mountain. <laughs> so what are you talking about as far as, like, technology are they got food replicators a la star trek is it more grimdark and they're eating little you know jelly soups in a packet kind of thing it's somewhere NASA in between it's somewhere stuff. in between uh, like i said we designed a world that was um where the technology had existed but then fear brought it way way back so the so you'll see some things like the interstellar travel but you don't want any kind of fusion between man and machine. So the characters will have peg legs instead of proper prosthesis and um, medical technology. Some is okay. You know, some is sort of futuristic, like the gel that, you know, that can heal that sci-fi seems to always have, but you're not going to have deep learning machines that can, 
you know, fix things or nanobots. They had existed in the past, but they can't exist now. And so it's. So it's, so it takes cyberpunk right out of it. Huh? So you don't get to do any cyberpunk with this, which is, which is a bit of a change for you. As a, as it is. But, but, you know, I get to. um I get to explore the the same concepts of our relationship with uh, with technology, um, and that was something that we sort of wanted to focus on because AI is such like a, a hot topic right now. It was cool to sure to sort of um, play with both sides, not take a stand on any of it, but just sort of ask questions, which was something that I loved to do in Cyberpunk. I much preferred to ask questions than to presume to answer them. I think it's much more fun to let the readers answer the questions and just to sit here and sort of posit them. You know, AI is going to be incredibly helpful in some ways and already has proven to be incredibly devastating in others. Um, and technology in general. So that had to create a very unique challenge for you as an author. Oh, absolutely. To, I to think deal with those situations because you had to distance yourself between integrated um, artificial intelligence or integrated um, technology um, with medical science, which cyberpunk, that's like the whole deal is, you know. So I, I think it's cool to, that I, I'm really interested in how you, how you felt about dealing with something that's a complete 180 concept in storytelling. I was, I was, um, I was actually really excited about that. I think I love cyberpunk you know it was it was my baby you know i created cyberpunk day but it was also nice after between all of the anthologies and everything like after 12 books it was kind of nice to also go a bit of a different direction um right so when we were developing this world it was really cool to to say well we're not going to be able to do this we're not going to be able to do these things and so you know the cyberpunk elements existed but way in the past that being said there's also a grave threat coming up in the future and so you know these kinds of issues also come into play and it's also pretty cyberpunky to have things be illegal like the modifications and to have an underworld where those things still exist um and if you had yeah, the choice delve into that johnny mnemonic Absolutely. And if you okay, have the yeah. wealth to save your life with nanotechnology in a world where it's absolutely outlawed, do you save your own life or do you abide by the laws of the land? And hell, you know, I got the I, money, I, man. I'm saving my own life, bro. That tends to be the answer, right? Um, so it's the people, it's especially the people in power who, of course, abuse the, the laws that they themselves create. Um, so as you can tell, even just in all of these themes, we have some cyberpunk elements, um, but it's definitely also a complete 180. And, you know, it's a galactic adventure, too. Uh, we got to do flying around in spaceships, you know, space battles, street battles. It's uh, it's it's just that kind of fun stuff, too, because my previous stuff was so grounded on a planet. So it was nice to also get out into space. I do like yeah, that whenever, whenever anyone writes politics, it's like, yeah, the more things change, the more nothing changes, and they're all corrupt. Right. <laughs> that's human nature. That right is there. the one yeah, thing that, that seems that everybody seems to agree on is 
politicians are corrupt. We can all we can we can all get into that. That's the one unifying factor. And then, of course, if you take it far enough in the future, you don't have to worry about left, right, blue, red, whatever. Oh, right. No, for, for, for us, self-preservation politics. For us, it's much more, you know, uh, different species coming into contact with one another and how that works and oh. the nature of human politics versus the nature of other creatures' politics and how we still, as people managed to sort of say, well, our way is the best and everybody sort of needs to conform to us, which is how the universal governing body was created, was during this war 200 years earlier, the humans were sort of saying, hey, everybody, we, we need to team up and, and, and fight these, you know, fight this AI, you know, not giving much credit to the fact that they were in fact the ones who created the problem. It's the universe's problem now. We all need to come together, work together. Let's form a universal government that, of course, serves humans more than ever, anybody else. Almost okay, like so there, there's aliens way. in this story. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Which was another thing I didn't okay, get to uh, do with cyberpunk. You know, a lot of, well, people can debate high and low what cyberpunk means to them. But a lot of people will say there's no aliens in cyberpunk. And so... um that was not something not I did, but this is something There's we're doing here. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. But my definition of cyberpunk is much more loose than a lot of the people who get really serious about it. You create, dude, you created Cyberpunk Day. I'm going to follow your translation of what cyberpunk is as the subject matter expert. You've I appreciate you. But meanwhile, people still to this day email me to say, your books aren't cyberpunk. You don't know what cyberpunk is. And at this point, you know, like, like you said, I've written a bunch of cyberpunk Daddy books and I love and it. So, so back I, to I the aliens. Care, man. But yeah, we'll get back to aliens. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the aliens. You said there's aliens. I, I love extraterrestrial interactions, especially with the human species or humanoid species. So let's talk about those. Let's talk about those aliens. Yeah, so uh, the first aliens that we meet are um, basically large alien rats um, that... Hank comes into contact with at a scrap site and they are not part of the scrappers guild and they handle things a little bit differently. And, um, uh, so they, they were really fun to write and they're of course part of the consortium. They're part of the government, but they also do things a little differently. And then, um, the other main species that we see a lot of are the Chirog, which are big, gray behemoths that are sort of twice as tall and wide as a person. And um, the man who adopted Hank and took him in and taught him, taught him how to be a, a scrapper was a Kyrog. Um, so that was, that was kind of fun to do to have a, a guy who was raised by one of the alien species. So the rat people, did they have any turtles as pets? You know, I guess that is the next natural step. <laughs> Star Scrapper 6, Secrets of the Ooze. <laughs> so, so Splinter's the main character, and then he picked up some Right, it's, some turtles. The, the series has taken a hard turn now. Chaney will love it. It'll be okay. So I don't know, man. Like, Chaney's Chaney a nerd. Love that? He's an old school nerd. He, he, no, I, I, no I, I, I assume. I've never met the man. I've never talked to him. But I like to think that he's a big uh, Eastman and Laird 
TMNT guy. Oh you yeah, I, I if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he has a um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pinball machine in his home that I think I was playing. No with. crap, really? Not not that long ago. So yes, that I, I think I think he would be as into this as we are. Nice. I, so, I think I need that in my office. You've got room. I think that's the next order of business. A good way to keep you standing, practice your standing, that kind of stuff. Pinball yeah, machine. Absolutely. That's right. That's it's, right. It's I will have an ATST guy right now, but you know, so I, I, you, I'm up for that. Are you planning on adding more aliens, or they're only like humans? Plus add, we've added we've added other alien species, but they're not. Um, there are fewer of them. They're 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 a smaller part of the populace. So there are certainly other types of creatures walking around and and you know we meet them throughout the series but those two sort of represent the two that you come into contact with the most and you know more than anything i think i think we even make a joke about it in the first book is that humans just spread everywhere and that we are the most sort of yeah. prolific species we're ubiquitous throughout the universe that once once we start populating we just get everywhere checks out now right. you, we've been referred to aliens. as space rookies in some sci-fi <laughs> circles. Like we just spread everywhere. Do the right. other, do the other oh, aliens of um in, in Matrix when he's humans are a disease, you know? Yeah. A virus, yeah. That right. So do the other yeah. uh, the other alien species, do they have comparable lives or are they longer lived, which explains why there's less of them from like um evolutionary standpoint? Yeah, so I uh you know, um I think we did a bit of both. The Kairog are longer lived and there are far fewer of them and they don't have a great history with the humans. You know, the humans discovered giant peoples who are very strong and it doesn't necessarily work out well for them because the people were like, hey, you know what would be great is serving in our militaries and helping us out and doing all these things. But then <laughs> we're definitely not going to take care of you after. Um, so there's some there's some resentment there. And... Uh, the Spartans the, from Halo. Right. <laughs> and the Vekras are more, um, are shorter lived, but there are tons of them, though you don't see them quite as often as humans because they're off sort of doing their own thing. Or they're hiding in subways. You never know. Right. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some of the New York subways uh, rats. They could be. I mean, yeah, they're, they're just. Huge. They're huge. The king they're, rats, they're man. They're half size Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what about what about some of the secondary characters aside from the starship and the AI? Are there any like companions that follow him? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, you gotta have you gotta have your crew. Um, so you you've got the AI Ned, Ned who, you know, thinks of himself as still a, a soldier fighting this fight, but he's fighting it on behalf of a government that has made him illegal and wants him destroyed. So it's a complicated situation to be in, to be programmed to believe in something that no longer believes in you. Um, right. So that was that was a fun, it's a fun thing to play with. And it's fun to also think about the idea of Ned's personality also reflecting the personality of his programmers from 200 years ago during wartime. So he has his own, um, this, um, like he has his own, very complicated internal worldview. Um, and it's just, it's just a lot, that's a lot of fun to explore. And then of course, um, without giving too much away, there's uh, a, a female bounty hunter who 
Hank comes into contact with and ends up um, sort of helping Hank come out of his shell as a scrapper and move into more of a leadership role, which he's going to have to take, you know, as, as they discover what's, you know, what's behind this plot, what's going on in this vast universe. So you mentioned guilds. There's two ways you see people when they write guilds in science fiction. They either tend to go basically just modern unions in space with all the politics that presumes, or they go a little bit more, I don't know, Scarface kind of mafiosa with it, um, where the, the guilds become de facto crime organizations themselves. So what approach did you take? Uh, it was more of the union approach, but there's also certainly a gang leader who uh, is part of the storyline and who affects Hank's life. And so while he technically works for the Scrappers Guild, he does also um, owe money to a gangster. So there's complications because his adoptive father the man who raised him also um enjoyed gambling a bit so you know he has some inherited debt in addition to um his inherited scrapping business oh that stinks you didn't even get to enjoy the pleasure of whatever the gambling was you just stuck with the debt yeah yeah it's yeah, it's <laughs> Hank's not in a great place at the beginning of the story. He's just kind of making it work as best he can, given the circumstances. And so when Ned comes along, it presents a complicated opportunity because do you want to work with this AI who is highly illegal and puts you in, in an even worse spot, but who probably has some aptitudes and abilities that could change your life? So he can help him sell propane and propane accessories, Hank? <laughs> yes. I mean, he, it, it, his last name is Hill, just so we're clear. <laughs> Wait, really? No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was all for it. I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, the sequel, nobody expected. <laughs> Star Scrapper 2, Electric Boogaloo. Right. I actually thought, like, when you said Star Scrapper, I'm like, oh, cool. They're, like, somehow harnessing the residues of dying stars. That's an interesting concept, but you know, no more like yeah, more like just a scavenger in the stars. So how come you went with Star Scrapper instead of like Scavenger or any of the other relic hunters that you see sci-fi terms that are used? I, I thought, um, I mean, like I said, you know, Jeff came up with this title, and I loved it from from the word go. But I thought it was really cool to sort of create create your own term um rather than try to fit him into some other box or some other more classic sci-fi term you know obviously there are some things in the story that are going to be recognizable for for sci-fi fans but i think it's cool that um instead we just sort of coined a phrase for it that's cool um, I really dig it. So, and the gear kind of helps, you know, now that I know what it is, you see the gear behind the, the title kind of helps sell it. I think with exactly what you're doing. 
Yeah, the gear was one of the first things uh, the cover artist showed me, and I was so stoked. I was like, "That is, that's exactly it." And like I said too, the orange too, the rust of it all. I feel like it really fits exactly with his life, his world, his worldview entirely. So, is his ship capable of orbital insertion, or is it uh, space only with you know space elevators or shuttles to get to the surface? If it's that old. No, it, 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 it goes in, it, it lands it, the, it, we just got to do a bit of suspension of disbelief. It, it lands, but um, it definitely, I love describing how it rattles and shakes every time it is going in for a landing and, and you kind of feel like, oh, well, this might be the last time. Okay. So you're saying it was built by Delta Airlines. I got it. <laughs> does, does he ever find extra bolts just laying around? <laughs> that's funny. We literally wrote him tripping over uh, a, a half screwed in bolt, I think in the first, like in early part of the first book. Okay. Okay. Nick uh, just sent me a text message. His uh, satellite Wi-Fi is not satelliting anymore. So we're just going to wrap this up without him. But, um, so for, um, the space, some spaceships that they do to give the, you know, the rundown vibe, the oxygen filters don't work and they've got plants on board, um, that kind of thing. Did you go that level of, since you didn't go tech, you go biological to solve some of these problems? No, it was, it was still, it was still tech, but it was just sort of that, um, I don't, I don't know, that sort of like fallout future where, it's futuristic, but still old timey looking. Um, that was sort of the approach that we took, uh, you know, as sort of fleshing out the world where the technology exists as long as it's not on any kind of automated system. And as long as it's manually, you know, activated when the engines are activated, that kind of thing, because there really can't be, you know, they're so strict about the AI and it's, and it's such a fine line when you're describing technology, but also, you know, I I feel like the, um, the bio would have looked too, um, too nice for this world. Yeah. Um, Like the whole, like any sort of solar punk would have just sort of not matched what we were, what we were going for with it. So where do you guys draw the line? Well, not you, but the, the world draw the line between just a sophisticated algorithm uh, and true AI. Do they have a definition of where they draw that line or I'll just see it, know it when I see it? It's much more that. And so they have, of course, you know, an inquisition who the inquisitors are hunting for, for AI throughout the universe and their definition of what AI is. And, you know, your average person's definition of what AI is, is probably going to be pretty different. And of course, because they were put into place in the wake of a war where everybody was terrified, the Inquisition have far more power than they should. And so they can pray, play pretty fast and loose with law and with their interpretation of what um, what AI is. So do you make jokes about the Spanish Inquisition being unexpected? <laughs> I don't, but I... <laughs> um, I was just re-listening, or I was just listening to the audiobook of it and remembered that there's a joke very early on where 
when Ned first wakes up and he hears there's an inquisition, he says, you know, basically, well, that's a little on the nose, don't you think? And, (laughs) you know, so you've got to do the nods to that kind of thing. So who is doing the audiobook? Um, so it's, you know, it, the nice thing about the audiobook is it's coming out the day that, um, that the book, the book, uh, the ebook launches and it's Neil. And of course I can't remember his last name on the spot because that would be too convenient, even though, you know, he's a great dude and his reading is awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the cool thing is, is that the audiobook is going to come out on the day that the book is released. So for audio listeners, um, we can, you know, you can have the book the exact same day. And it's up for pre-order now, too. So if you go to Audible, you can pre-order Starscrapper right now and have it. Oh, well, I guess at the time of this airing, you can just go to Audible right now and you can listen to it this very moment. So with the um, the audiobook, was it put out by Variant or did he... Um send it out to, I guess, Podium is who he normally works with? Uh, no, it's, it's, I, I think it's through, it's through Variant um, itself. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's how it's working. Honestly, um, I'm not as involved in the audiobook production, you know, for all of my cyberpunk books, I was intimately involved. And now um, I just sort of get to sit back and let, variant do all of the legwork has it been relaxing for you to just to write yeah it's i mean this is a dream just like working with is a machine. And, and writing sci-fi and not having to do all of the stuff that i had taught myself to do as i was still working at the zoo and trying to start a, a, a writing career it, it's you know it's an absolute dream to um to just just do some writing yeah, I'm not saying it's true, but I would not be surprised if we discovered Cheney was a replicant because I don't think that guy ever sleeps. No, I don't think it's it's possible. I mean, even with all of the co-authors, you know, helping out, like the dude is a machine. I, I've never been more impressed with a person I've worked with than I have been now working with Jeff. So what you're saying is this, the AI Inquisition might have a problem with him. Almost certainly. <laughs> so what was your so you've talked about some of the characters in the world kind of being like post-war does the war have a name yeah they just call it the old war um and what's kind of fun is um we went a little vague with the old war where it sort of all has this old-timey quality where they they referred to the enemy ai just as the enemy ai and the cult that they were fighting, they just referred to as the cult. And it was a very sort of, you know, simplistic, futuristic worldview that I thought was a really fun, fun way to do it. Rather than give them all these complicated names and all these things, it was very much like this universal organization just gave everything the most simplified name that they could and just referred to them as that from, from here on out. And it also kind of dehumanizes the enemy in a way, too, which I think is realistic to the way large governing bodies want to, you know, represent their opponents. I also think in a world where you're trying to go backwards technologically after a war like this, it makes sense that they would need to simplify things because you can't just have your smartphone and 
whatever to look stuff up because this the culture that would have been raised on the convenience of machines doesn't have them anymore. So right. they probably lost some of their memory just based on attention spans post, you know, TikTok. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's fun to think of what the future would look like if the future had to be so pulled back. Yeah, I I, I could see that. I, I definitely so do you have without giving too many spoilers, because obviously we want people to, to buy this. This will be launching this episode right around uh the release of your book. Did you have a favorite scene in book one that you've written? Oh man, a favorite scene. In book one, yes, and it would absolutely give it away because I'm trying to stay <laughs> like a like a trailer, you know, a movie trailer. I'm trying to stay in the first like twenty percent of the of the book so as okay. to not give too much away um, because it really once it gets going, it really gets going. Um, but yes, and it was also fun introducing. Some of the other characters, you know, you were asking about uh, the, the, you know, the crew and that. And it's fun when you start to also meet the other characters. One of the things that, you know, I absolutely love writing and I've always loved in, in the Jay and Chaney books, too, is the characters. I love the character interactions. And so that's always the most fun to write. Okay. Um, so with the technology... For weapons, are we talking? Um, are you going with like plasma laser pew pews? Are you talking about standard bullets that we would be kind of familiar with now? What, what it's did you mostly it's it's mostly weapons that we're familiar with, with a, a light sprinkling of sci-fi weapons, because you know you, you don't want it to feel not at all like sci-fi. You don't want it to feel so grounded in technology that then it stops feeling like they should be able to fly around in spaceships also. Um, so there are, so there are some, um, there are some sci-fi weapons too, but it does tend to be just weapons that we, we know the ship to ship combat is almost all fought with sort of micro missiles that they're just spraying at one another um, rather than a lot of, big energy weapons. Some ships have those, but for the most part, not really. This is giving me when you talk about what the planets would look like, some very Firefly-esque vibes. Well, you know, I mean, Firefly, I think for most sci-fi creators at this time, you know, Firefly definitely was influential. And for me, as I think it was for Joss Whedon and for George Lucas, you know, Westerns also seem to inform a lot of things. And so you end up feeling sometimes that Western vibe in a lot of, um, in a lot of sci-fi. You think about the first season of the Mandalorian, it's just, it's just a straight up Western. Yeah. The, I think part of it is because at the time Westerns were the West was the frontier, right? Where the, the escape valve for, for the pressure of society. And then once you go to space, that becomes that, you know, once Earth is completely colonized, essentially, there's no new place to go discover. Well, what's next? Stars. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, it is um, that. You're, I think that's absolutely apt. Um, it is that untamed West. Um, and so I think that bleeds into sci-fi a lot. And I, I've always I've always loved that. And yeah, I think I think there's certainly um, some some Firefly notes in there, too. 
though I don't have any knit caps yet. So maybe that's the next order of business. I mean, you got to think merch when you write. You got to go all Disney with it, right? You got to think merch. You got to think those little plastic men. So what's interesting is we put in the books um, that the characters are playing war hero cards because I my son was playing a lot of Pokemon at the time. And so it seemed like, oh, a good way to kill time is, you know, people throughout history, dice and cards. And so, um, you know, we put in these war hero cards and it just kept finding its way into the story throughout all of the books. And one of the beta readers said that exact thing. Oh man, we need to get some, we need to get some more hero cards printed up. (laughs) Nice. So is that in the plans you think? Uh, I don't think so, but man, I would not mind designing a, a card game. For marketing purposes, of course you're not just playing as a grown-up. Right. No, yeah, no, right. To make money, not just because I'm a giant child. Right, right. <laughs> I, I remember that conversation with, with the wife when I was, uh, you know what the concept of a sandbox is as far as like uh sand yes. table? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Hello. That uh, are you with me now? I got you. Are you familiar with the concept in military battle planning strategy as the sand table or the sandbox people call it? Oh no. Okay, where basically you use sand because you can shape it easily to the various terrain features, mm-hmm. and then you use it to represent the three dimensional topography, and then you can kind of look at it visually and plan strategy, right? So your sand table. Uh, I would do that with Legos, though, or with, like, Little Green Army Men, and I had a lot of trouble convincing the wife that, no, I'm not playing with toys. This is literally work. You're right. (laughs) Like, honest, I'm not playing with Legos. Right, but trust me when I say. (laughs) And then, of course, if you do your taxes and your tax person starts looking at the things you're spending money on, I'm like, totally a business expense. Right. Well, and that's the that's the crazy thing about, you know, becoming a, a science fiction author is that it it feels like your entire job is just play. Yeah, I mean, I could see it now. Like I could I could totally justify people buying like little spaceship uh, toys, either Star Wars or Warhammer or whatever. Like, no, no, no. I use these to plan the battles. This is I've 100 percent used Warhammer miniatures to to scheme out battle scenes. That see? that is that's deductible. That is, I hadn't even considered that. It, my entire hobby budget to become a tax deduction. <laughs> but I mean, it just makes sense. In a hypothetical world, that's what I would do. Yeah, right. I got you. Well, tax season's coming up, so maybe now's the time. <laughs> All right. Was there anything about this series? Because obviously we don't want spoilers. We want people to go out and buy the books and read the books or the audiobooks. Was there anything about this uh, series and this book, Star Scrapper, that uh, we didn't ask? Um, not really. We've kind of touched on the world and the characters. I mean, you know how to conduct an interview, I'll tell you. Yeah, uh, you know, I I feel like we've done a really good job of of representing what this world is. Um, I think the thing that I would just love to mention is that, like, we had just an absolute blast writing this book. And when my wife read the first draft, she was like, I can tell that you're having fun. And I, I think that that it reads that way is that you can just tell that the authors are having fun writing, writing the book. And so it's a fun, you know, the world's a little dark, but it's a fun action adventure that I, I really am excited to see how people enjoy. Because I, I really think that people are just going to dig the vibe in this in this book. 
I think you can have a dark future without it being grim dark because it's really about like, does the good guy win in the end? Is there a redemption arc? Is there potential for better? Even if it's just better for now. Uh, I think that's different than the grim dark people think about when they're talking about, um, I don't know, like Martin or some of the other right the Warhammer worlds. Where right. Like, no and, and that's, and I think that's exactly right. And that's something that I am not as attracted to. I like the dark universe. I don't like the hopelessness. I, I don't find that particularly appealing. The walking dead got real hard for me after a certain point because None of the people are likable. None of the actions they're doing are likable. And it feels utterly hopeless. Whereas even in something like Game of Thrones, they did manage to occasionally give it some levity. I remember when Arya and the Mountain sort of went on their adventures together and thinking that like, even in this dark, dark world, they're still, and they kind of hated each other, but it was still like fun and ridiculous and, and, I like that kind of thing in storytelling when even if it's a dark background, the humans, the people who populate it are, are hopeful. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, it's more about the possibility of better in the future. Cause if it's just all grim dark and it's only going to get worse and there's no hope, what's the point? Right. And that's, and I don't find that particularly appealing to, to read either. I, I have a hard time wanting to spend time in that world because kind of what's the point yeah, I mean the world sucks enough. You don't need to dwell on it. Like I, I read to escape reality. Right. I don't. I don't want to read it necessarily in my fiction. Right. Yeah. I like. I like the idea that there's something that we can aspire to, and I think that's what's sort of fun. That was what was really fun about writing Ned was writing somebody who is programmed to feel optimistic and hopeful about this government, even though he logically knows that he is outlawed by this government and would be destroyed if caught. Like, I think that's a really fun dichotomy. So had Ned been um, in some sort of stasis turned off or whatever, or was he aware of the passage of time? No. Uh, yeah. He, he was uh, knocked out. So if you read, um, we put out a prequel short story that um, you can find by joining uh, Jay and Jenny's Renegade Readers on Facebook or uh, subscribing to the mailing list and you could get the free short story. So it actually introduces how Ned got offline for, uh, for 200 years, although I just kind of spoiled it. So let's ask a little bit of a logistical question then. So for people, because some of the listeners have heard other authors that we've talked to, they're right with Cheney. So we've got a decent number of his kind of audience that to do listen so if they've already subscribed to the newsletter if they're already in the group how do they get that short story now that it's a new series oh it uh, it was sent out in an email it, it uh, a week and a half ago you, you would have received the the email with the short story it's called old wars end and it's okay. about the end of the old war and um it sets up all of the events of star uh, star scrapper and and if not, if failing that in the Facebook group, if you're in the Facebook group, I, you know it could it's been shared out, I believe, or you can just find me. I'm all over the Facebook group talking about Star Scrapper these days. So if you want that story, just you know hunt me down and I will I will send it to you in audio or ebook. 
Oh, freaking standing. All right. So this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. It really helps, especially with a new series, because those kinds of things tweak the algorithms, the evil AI, uh, and let other readers find it. And uh, the more people that find the book and read it, the more sales, the more likely the publisher is to keep it going. So if you like it, spread the word. Yes, please, please, please. Cause we've got it. We got it slated for six books now, but we have a 12 book arc that if it sells well, we would love to dive into. Now, if it doesn't sell well enough for the 12 book, do you plan on giving a satisfactory ending wherever you stop it? Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> Not to call out Star Wars too much, but I'm very much uh, of a mind that you want to plot things out so that the stories make sense from the beginning. Um, so with the cyberpunk saga, as soon as I finished the first book, I plotted out through the um, entire series. And with this one, we have um, really tight endings for if it ends at six, if it ends at 12, and if it somehow were to find the legs to go to 15 it could find i you know we have really uh satisfying conclusions that close out the story and so at a, i would presume then at a certain point if you hit 15 and it's still popular there's potential for spinoffs i mean i think it would be really cool to do more of the old war um there's you know i think the way science fiction or uh, science fiction authors in general work is as you're fleshing out a world, as you're developing a world, you inherently come up with characters who you want to explore more of. Um, and so there's a ton of spinoff opportunities. If, um, if this world were to become, you know, very popular. I mean, you look at what's what backyard starship is doing now. There are so many different stories being told in that universe and other plans coming out, you can see how when a, a book series really takes off, there's a lot of storytelling possibilities. Okay. So is this your pretty much your prime focus right now? Or are you still doing some cyberpunk? This is my, this is my prime focus right now. Um, yeah. Our, our anthology was the last uh, cyberpunk that, um, that I've done for a while. It was, you know, for those who ha haven't, grabbed it deadly enhancements um was a, a, a cyberpunk anthology um that we put together and that was the last cyberpunk for a while i i love it and i i hope you know we actually took a break from cyberpunk day this past year um all of the people who'd been running it for the last several years it had grown to a point where we are going to need a little bit more help and so we just couldn't couldn't get it together this year but for next year's cyberpunk day hopefully we'll we'll be right back in the swing of things for that but for now star scrapper is really where i'm focused i don't want to sort of spread my brain too thin either um and it's a pretty vast world so there's a lot of moving parts uh to keep you know keep in mind so do you keep it uh, in your old brain pan or do you have a universe bible somewhere that you you keep track of universe bible so i <laughs> did not do that with a cyberpunk saga and i regretted that um because i had started to look into possibly turning it into a, a role-playing game and so i started to collect all of the different companies and things that i had mentioned and i realized i didn't write any of them down and i didn't remember any of them because you know after writing 12 books it's hard to remember all of those little things so with this series we definitely have a, a world bible and um 
Yeah, and even using the that dastardly AI uh, doing some AI art so that um, we can visualize some of the characters, that kind of thing too. Okay, cool. All right, and so if readers and listeners want to track you down, uh, stalk you as they do, how can they find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Oh uh, yeah, so I am easy to find. I am Thuto World, T H U T O World, on pretty much any platform. So that's Facebook, Instagram. Twitter X, although I'm not super active on there. Um, I suppose I'll need to break into the world of TikTok, but I haven't done that yet. Um, and then, of course, if you go to JN Cheney's Renegade Readers, the Facebook group, we are closing in on 40,000 members. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's a really fun reader space. So if you go there, um, you can also track me down there because I'm, you know, I'm getting getting into it now in that Facebook group. Okay. And I will link to all of that in the show notes, dear listener. Speaking of how you can find people online, you can find us on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters, the email for professional business purposes only at Blasters and Blades podcast at gmail.com. We have our Facebook group and our Facebook page, and we link to Madam Stabby Stabs, Instagram, Twitter, and email, where you can send all your hate and discontent and she will make you cry that is uh that is the deal people you sign up for it at your own peril all right and then we have our website where you can follow us at anchor.fm slash blasters tacky and tack blades again anchor.fm slash blasters tacky and tack blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on uh these episodes aren't free to produce and we appreciate your patronage and that is also the podcast platform that does all the audio um, and then you could support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section. This is for the podcast, and I will promise I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until the Java pours out of their eyeballs. Uh, and speaking of Java, coffee, all the gloriousness, if you want to buy some of that coffee brand coffee we talked about earlier, link is in the show note. Code is podcast grunts, and you get a 10% discount for a Made in America coffee brand coffee company. So with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my absent co-hosts, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you for coming on the show again. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to have you back. Oh yeah, I you know I want to come, I want to come back all the time. Now I want to come back for half of those movies that were that you guys are watching. So <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to make sure you get a open invitation when we start planning these uh, these group discussions. Heck we yeah. just did one on Firefly that'll be airing in a couple weeks because you know just the way we, we stack things, we're going to be talking about all the cool stuff. So we're going to have to. Have so you when it gets to Serenity, I'll pop back in. <laughs> All right. Thank you, uh, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for coming on.